This is the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast, Episode 8. I'm Todd Millionaire, a.k.a. Charles Oglesby. I am the founder and the director of the Todd Capital Investment Club, also the Todd Capital Investment Club for Real Estate, and Todd Ventures, which is soon to be launching. And we have some great things lined up for you all. Um, and tonight, we have a special guest. His name is Mr. Rob Boyd. Uh, it's another person I met on Twitter. I pretty much meet everybody that's ex- it's interesting on Twitter. I always say that Twitter allows you to find people that believe what you believe. And I think that in certain aspects, you know, Rob believes a lot of the th- same things that I believe. So, Rob, how's it going, man? Doing great. Doing great. Thank you for having me. It's always great to, to have conversations and, and connect with uh, like-minded people, as you said. So, I'm, I'm glad to be here. And where are you located again? Currently, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, spent a few years in, in D.C., uh, for school and then um, started my career soon after finishing undergrad and, and also grad school in D.C. So been in Atlanta for a couple months uh, working in the, the banking and real estate world. So it's been it's been great so far mm-hmm. um, over the few months that I've been there. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing these days? Yeah, definitely. So at the moment, uh, I am spending most of my time consulting uh, commercial banks uh, throughout the Southeast region for the most part around uh, lending and especially lending to uh, lower to moderate income individuals and households who are are looking to get into home ownership but not necessarily uh, have the the resources um, needed to, to initially get into a home, um, and so a, a lot of what I do is, is consult banks on how to create programs and provide uh, financial resources and also um, educational resources to low to moderate income individuals who may not be well versed on the process of home ownership and other um, general banking practices that uh, you would definitely have to be aware of as a consumer to take advantage of home ownership and, and other things you can do financially to, to create a legacy for that part, for that much. Cool. I mean, a lot of people that listen to this podcast, a lot of people that I've been working with, we're all interested in owning homes. Um, we're in the real estate investment sphere. And so, I mean, a lot of that pertains to us because we're having to get loans, we're having to get mortgages, we're having to kind of leverage our, ourselves into this into this new arena that a lot of us are unfamiliar with. So, I mean, what does that look like, the consulting, and what kind of tips are you giving these banks? Uh, well, a lot of it starts with understanding uh, our mentality, especially in, within certain minority groups. Uh, one, they're across many minority groups, uh, of whether you're talking about the Latino community or the African-American community, there's a level of distrust with the banking system, a lot from historical events that have happened, uh, but just generally uh, individuals not feeling comfortable with with banking. And so a lot of my, my consulting comes across uh, to bank executives and, and, and also just general bank staff is just understanding um, culturally where a lot of the lower to moderate income individuals are coming from culturally and making sure that uh, you're, they're educating 
the individuals. It's a lot easier. I won't say easier, but to, you you have more success when uh, someone understands that you're looking to educate them and, and provide them with resources they may not be accustomed to. Uh, because at the end of the day, banking is, a lot has to do with sales, and in order for someone to, especially lower amount of income individuals, to buy um, or use certain products in the banking world, um, the educational pieces help build that trust. So a lot of the consulting comes down to uh, whether it's home buyer workshops that the banks are participating in or sponsoring, and making sure that. They, they know how to build uh, relationships with consumers that they may not be used to working with. But also, a lot of the consulting comes down to how to promote um, certain products and also where and, and what communities need um, products the most that are looking to take certain steps financially. And just giving them, giving bank executives uh, better understand them how to approach certain segments of the market. And a lot of that that insight that I have around it came from personal experiences, um, but also just understanding the financial world uh, from a technical standpoint, but also from a cultural standpoint, understanding the demographic of individuals that a lot of these banks are looking to reach so that, one, they continue to grow their um, group of, of account holders, but also educating them on, on what certain demographics are looking to accomplish, and and it's just a it's it's really a culmination of experience and expertise that enables me to to, to cover a lot of the topics that a lot of the bank executives just don't understand when it comes to working with certain demographics of, of the population. So that that's generally. What I do, and there's so many different things, whether it's regulation and making sure that banks um, meet certain regulations that they have. Uh, one in particular is called the Community Reinvestment Act, and, and making sure that they understand how to reach these certain communities so that they can uh, basically pass regulations and, and be looked at as, as a pillar in communities and not so much looking to just simply sell products in the community, but, but looked at as, as an entity that's helping build certain communities. Yeah. So um, that's where a lot of my consulting comes in. That's cool. And I think that, um, I mean, to kind of dovetail off what you were saying about these, these entities coming in and trying to actually build within the communities, a theme that has kind of been going along the lines in this show is that we don't have to be a, a quote victim of gentrification, but we can be a participant in gentrification. So I mean, oh for sure, is is that something that what you're doing can kind of help people do? And if so, how? Yeah. So uh, one example, and, and I just use the city of Atlanta as an example, um, that and because gentrification is it's more so about money. It's not it's ne not necessarily about uh, race, it's about more of, of socioeconomic statuses that, that exist in certain areas, but um, as an example, uh, here in Atlanta, there's uh, a project called the Beltline Project, um, also known as the, the Atlanta Beltline Initiative, or ABI, which 
generally an initiative that is looking to rebuild the areas that directly surround the downtown area, uh, mainly on the west, south, and, and east side. And that program is mainly focusing on these areas and providing resources to um, certain individuals who are usually displaced by gentrification and, and looking to help them purchase and re revitalize their own neighborhoods um, through ownership rather than, um, for lack of a better term, rentership. So this, Atlanta is, is a great example of what I, what I believe uh, as far as do, a city doing it the right way, trying to make sure that the members of a community understand and have the ability and opportunity to build value within their own communities rather than what seems to be the natural process of um, looking to move certain individuals out of a, a neighborhood or area directly surrounding or even in downtown to bring in individuals who um, have more of an ability to, to own or create value through business. And so uh, Atlanta, not only living here, but just seeing it from the standpoint of the consulting I'm doing, it, it, there's a lot of banks here in the Atlanta area that have bought into the idea of let's, let's make sure we give um, the demographic who in a lot of other cities is being displaced by, by gentrification or the redevelopment of certain neighborhoods. And let's give the individuals in these neighborhoods right now who have been there historically um, an opportunity to buy these neighborhoods through certain down payment assistance programs, um, through certain programs that not only give them more financial leverage, but also educate them on uh, what home ownership is really about. It's not just about paying the mortgage and, and, and owning uh, where you live. It's also about caring more about your neighborhood and, and you have a heightened level of, of care when there is a sense of ownership. And, and so those, those are certain things that are happening here in Atlanta, which we're, we're looking as a, as a bank, looking to help other cities model themselves after, after what's going on in Atlanta. And, and one city that I can really speak to is DC being that I lived there for about nine, nine or 10 years, roughly. Uh, it's a, it's a completely different story in DC where you have certain demographics, especially um, the, the black community and also the, the Latino community, they're just overall just being completely displaced and, and forced to move out of the city just due to, to cost of living and, and certain, certain investors literally going into certain neighborhoods, buying the block literally um, and forcing those who might not have a lot of financial resources um, to move out so that they can redevelop those areas for high-rise apartments, market rent apartments, rather than some of the historical neighborhoods that had a lot of, of, of minority ownership. But because of lack of, of financial resources these days and the re recent economic downturns over the last decade has forced um, a lot of our uh, people of color in, in certain communities to to take the the low ball cash offers and 
and to try to find um, a better way of life, and, and that's getting the opportunity for certain investors who have that cash to to offer, which may not be the, the, what the value of your home may be, but it's more cash than you've ever seen personally before. You take the offer and you, you move on, not really thinking about the historical impact that it might have as far as you um, selling your home for a, a low-ball cash offer um, and, and not really knowing, one, what to do with the money after you obtain it and how to make sure that you can leverage it to get into a better opportunity in, in a different area, but just saying, oh, that's a lot of money. I can't say the no to that. Uh, and, and then down the line, realizing, like, wow, an entire neighborhood that I grew up in and homes that my grandparents and parents owned, I sold for pennies on a dollar, and now there are individuals in that neighborhood that have no historical connection to me. And you realize after the fact that you you are actually part of the problem of gentrification. It's not an issue of being forced out. It's more so because of a lack of financial education. You take an offer that seems great on the front end um, because it's, it's a lot of money from a cash perspective, but just not knowing the implications that may have as far as accepting that offer and what it's going to do to your community that you grew up in and, and overall to, to the, the businesses that may have been able to have a foundation in your community, but once those, their, their lifelong customers move or leave and go to different areas, now those businesses suffer and it affects minority-owned businesses, um, not just the, the, the mix of ownership in a certain community. So there's so many effects that I've seen, and there's such a contrast between just cities like D.C. or in Atlanta, which are technically both in the southeast, but the culture of the cities is so much different that you you, you just see so many different things from a financial standpoint that I, I would have never dreamed of understanding when I was younger, but but just been blessed with the opportunity to, to learn a lot of these things along the way. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of what it looks like. And I think I want to touch on that. I think one thing that I'm noticing is a lot of people are starting to flock to Atlanta. Atlanta's becoming a very, oh, very sure. popular real estate market. But another thing that I've seen historically is that Atlanta has always done things differently. And one of the main things that I that I noticed a little while back is, and I've touched on this in the podcast before, is the Atlanta Compromise. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but I really think that that is kind of what sparked that shift in the culture. And it was just this idea that people, essentially like African-Americans should be able to thrive in their own space, which is kind of like the whole Black Wall Street idea. And even kind of what we're trying to build here is like, we should be able to thrive without being without without forcing our way into other systems. It's like we should be able to kind of do us and you do you and everybody wins that way. And I think that along the lines in Atlanta, we've seen that maybe that there's something, I'm not, there's something special about Atlanta. I was going to ask you why that is, but um, I kind of want to touch on one of the things that you said where you were saying that a lot of the reason why gentrification exists is because you have these people who come in and they offer cash and people take the cash not thinking 20 years, 30 years down the line when they have kids and their kids have kids and they have no property to walk into. And I think that that is so important because that cash, in my opinion, is short-sighted. And a lot of times what we do is we kind of, we play into people's hands. I read this article a while back and it was saying like, 
every African-American person has a price. And I think that that in itself is kind of ridiculous. And one of the great things about having this podcast is we can actually, and what I'm trying to do even in this is like, we're trying to shift the culture. And one of the ways that you shift the culture is by becoming educated and by learning that if you have the proper financial knowledge that you don't have to make those mistakes, you can do evaluation analysis and you can see like, is this cash they're giving me worth it? Is this cash that they're giving me going to allow me to create some sort of a revenue stream that I can live off of? Or, I mean, or I think it's even just kind of like an ego thing. It's like, I'm not going to let them get the upper hand on me. I'm not going to let them kind of downplay me and shoot me a little cash offer and demean me and feel like I'm small. And in so many instances, as a people, we kind of, we kind of, we don't want to be seen as inferior, but we can't act as inferior either. And so it's like, you have to build yourself up. You have to educate yourself. You have to be able to play on an even playing field. And a lot of that comes just with being educated. And one of the most frustrating things to me is like, a lot of the times it's not even like Caucasian people that are coming in and dismantling these hoods. It can sometimes be Hispanic people. It can sometimes be Asians. It can sometimes be Jews. And it's like, if they're outsmarting us, then that's a problem. We need to do what we need to do, whether it's listening to this podcast, listening to Rob, getting some coaching through Rob. Like you have to get that education so that you can be as equally armed to go to battle because it's really war out there. Like people are out there taking homes, they're taking lands, they're renaming communities, they're kicking people out. Like if you can't put a roof over your family's head, then I mean, what do you have? No, you're completely right. That, that, that's so right. And, and um, uh, I mean, the one thing that, I, that I've learned before I even understood all the dynamics of real estate and the things I'm seeing today is the when I first started my career as a financial coach and just seeing what we did and didn't understand from just a basic day-to-day financial, personal financial management and the lack of understanding, especially in the black community, for certain concepts financially, I, I think that that acts as a weak foundation that then allows you to make bad real estate-related decisions um, from that perspective that you just touched on in regards to gentrification and taking maybe a, a cash offer that really doesn't serve you at all. But that all comes from a lack of financial education around um, investing, around insurance, around a lot of things that you have to have a, a hold on first before you can really jump into the the real estate world and have and, and have an actual context to what's happening and what real estate is really about. Mm. Um, because a lot of times when people hear real estate, they think buildings, they think homes, they think office buildings. When actually, real estate is about land and it's about space that God is created a certain amount and he's not creating more of it um, outside of some of the smaller scientific feats like volcanoes but literally mm-hmm. there, there, there's land there's power in land and what you put on the land that that's a completely different discussion but a clean, like you have to understand that that real estate is is a part of the financial construct is based on the, the, the financial system that was created not only here in America, but just a, a financial system of the world. And, and before you get in, 
become an expert in that particular field of finance. You have to have a general understanding of the financial world that you live within, which comes down to a lot of those personal day-to-day financial things that you're doing. Because real estate is, a, is, is on, in most cases, a transactional business. Um, but you got to master some of the more basic transactions in regards to your financial life before you can really master the art of some of the larger financial transactions like real estate. So I think uh, the big problem in regards to our community maybe taking bad offers or, or not understanding the value of what we, we do have at the moment simply comes from um, a lack of a financial foundation as far as understanding general, um, not only financial concepts, but just mathematical concepts that obviously affect our finances. So um, that that's what I really learned about our community because I, I, you always hear it. You always say, okay, why don't, uh, why doesn't our, our the segment of a population as far as black people, why? Do, why are we such great consumers? Like, why, how do we become such great consumers and not really uh, exude the excellence that we do possess as far as being great producers? And I think a lot of that shift as far as us really becoming top black consumers, which isn't a great title to have, but we're great consumers. And that, that's, that shift has really happened over the last hundred years as you mentioned, like the black, the idea of Black Wall Street and how that was um, a very a, a very prominent idea and prevalent idea in our communities in the early 1900s. When you compare the early 1900s and what we were doing as communities at that point versus how our communities act today financially, it to me, and this is my opinion, it's been a huge fall off in our community's financial behavior from then till now. And I, and I think over the, the last hundred years, uh, what we've lost uh, grasp on is the power of our collective dollar. Mm. And, and, mm. and that the fact that we've lost our understanding of the power of our collective dollar and now we're, we're a lot of our community, a lot of people in our community act more individually, thinking that that makes us more powerful. That false narrative, the the power, being powerful comes down to what you can do as an individual more so than what you can do as a group. That's a miseducation that's pretty much been the the tip of the iceberg that, that sunk our Titanic as a as a group. I don't know if you read um, the book Poweronomics, but that's um, one of the one of the quotes that I always pull out is he says that in America we've been taught that it's the individual that matters, and while we're competing with people who know that it's the group that matters, and one of the things that I created, the reason why I even created Todd Capital Investment Club and the Acquisitions Club is because it's this concept of group economics, and we've seen that it works. I mean, the purchasing power that we have in the investment club is ridiculous compared to what we could have been if we we're a bunch of individuals and we've done it with just a bunch of people chipping in a small amount and one of the key benefits and one of the hidden benefits that i've seen with the investment club just by using that idea of collective economics is we can take a risk that the average person can't take and so by taking that risk you end up being able to earn wealth that the average person can't make 
And so there's so much, man, I, I could talk for days and I might have to do a whole episode just on group economics, but that's key, man. Um, I mean, what do you think? What, what you were going there, but I mean, what do you have to say about that? What, what, what do I think about that idea of group economics? Well, I mean, just how, I mean, is that something that you're, you're seeing? Have you seen that play out in, in Atlanta? Cause I mean, in Southern California, it's way different. I was thinking about this on the way home. I was thinking like to be an African-American, an African-American person in Southern California as compared to Atlanta is like two different worlds. I mean, oh, for sure. You have the hood, but for me, I mean, and people tell me this all the time, it's like, for me being who I am in Orange County, I'm like a speck, but you go to the East Coast and there's like whole blocks full of people who look like me and talk like me and act like me and have the same vision and drive as me. So it's like, if you have all those people working together, I mean, there's nothing that you can't do. There's nothing that you can't create. Uh, well, uh, I, I, the way I look at the, the whole challenge as far as our community practicing group group economics is um, I mean the American system first and foremost um, there's a lot of um, what I would call trick minds that were placed into our system to, to really divide the power that we, we have as a community um, obviously the things that are happening these days is different from what was happening 100 years ago. But I think one of the one of the issues within our community today that really stops us from practicing group economics is this idea that we're competing with each other. Yes. Um, and we 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 want to be the 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 black person that stands out that has accomplishments that maybe some of our peers don't have or or have the car or live in a neighborhood that some of our peers um, within our within our group within our social group haven't experienced or don't or don't have yet and this sense of competition um, which is amplified by social media and the tit for tat that happens on social media as far as oh look what I have and mm-hmm. It's something that you don't have, and and this this mentality that we're competing with each other was a dynamic that ne- wasn't necessarily created by us, but we realized that in this capitalistic society that we live in, that let, let's take on this this uh, notion of every man for himself, because at the end of the day, um, I want to make sure that I'm successful instead of we're successful. The fact that we bought into that that narrative um, and, and thought that for a while that that was going to serve us, uh, we're just not just that's just not how we operate as a people. I think that we, we, I think that I mean it's one thing to say competition. I think that's absolutely an issue, and I think that another one of the issues is that when you create a system that's based on integration and somebody letting you into how they operate. Unfortunately, there's a quota on the backside. And so when you force your way into certain institutions, they're going to let one or two people in. And so you have to become that token. In order to become that token, you have to beat out the other person who's running the same race as you. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I've always been a big proponent of creating your own, supporting your own. And I think 
that group economics and balancing the black dollar, it can only, it serves to kind of create that, of that it, it serves to create your own institutions. It's like you create institutions and you support them with black dollars. You create your own schools and you support them with black dollars. And so it's like one hand washes the other, but it's so tough to really say that it's one cause or it's one issue because, I mean, there's so many things that work together and we have to really, I, th- I, I said this a while back, is we have to start having like planning meetings where we come together to figure out how can we progress the community and it's not on some political stuff. It's not on, well, I'm the mayor and you need to help me become a great mayor. It's just like we need the community to be great. So what are you doing that you can help contribute to make this community better? What are you doing that you can help? And people just coming together to kind of help build us up as a unit. Because, I mean, it's one thing to have competition. I, I, uh, like you said, I mean, people are one-upping each other daily. It's like where you check in has to be fly. Where you, what you have, what, what labels you have. Like, we're just all living to impress people. And one thing that I said is, unfortunately, when you do that, all you're doing is stimulating somebody else's economy. It's like, it's one thing to be bragging about supporting a black business. It's another to be bragging about supporting somebody out in Paris who could care less about your community. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and I think it, the root of that is that lack of, I, I'll just say, um, self-value or self-worth yeah. that allow, allows you to fall victim of this imaginary competition mm-hmm. um, because it, it's we, we have to make sure um, we're playing on the right field and right now like you said competing with who's wearing what designer that's not the right field for, for us to be competing on we should be competing on oh, who can generate the most wealth for the next generation within their own family. Like what the competition has to change as far as what we're competing for and and because competition is healthy because competition pushes you. However they kind of bring it back to the, the, the first point I was making, the lack of financial education has almost forced us to compete in other areas because we don't have the basis to know how to compete in the world that really matters um, mm-hmm. when it comes down to business and, and wealth. We, we, we're so distant and we've, we've pushed ourselves away from competing within those worlds so that now, because I, I don't know how to create uh, wealth and I don't know how to put my family in a better position financially, through entrepreneurship or through business, because I don't understand that and I feel like it's a lot of heavy lifting to begin to understand that, it's a whole lot easier for me to take my $100, go to the store, buy something, and be able to compete with how I look with mm-hmm. other, versus other people versus what I work versus other people. It's like and, it's easier to look the part than it is to be the part. It's easier, it's easier to go buy the watch than right. it is to be the man that owns the watch. Right. And, and if you don't, if you don't believe that you can be a player in that wealth game and you only believe that you can be a player in the fashion game, that, that to me is a self-worth issue. Um, because there's been plenty of people probably in your own family years ago that 
had no option but to create a business and um, serve their community because the the other communities just the things weren't integrated maybe a hundred years ago. So they had to be businessmen. They had to create an ecosystem um, for them and, and all of the individuals that pretty much look like them. So they didn't have an option back then to just sit here and say, oh, I, I just want to look better than everyone because <laughs> it, it was, it was the, the stakes were, were a lot bigger back then. But, but today, um, whether you talk about technology or just the convenience of certain things, people's like, oh, it's a lot easier. Like you said, it's a lot easier to look the part than to actually be disciplined and consistent to actually play the part. I think, um, I mean, to kind of and, touch on what you're I, saying, I think that one of the great ahead. things, and you're obviously going to disagree with me on this, but one of the cool things that I'm seeing on Instagram, on social networks, on Twitter, is there really is a push towards black economics these days. We're seeing way more entrepreneurship. We're seeing way more support of other people's accomplishments and their like true success. And I uh-huh. attribute it a lot to the most recent political uh, campaign. I think that a lot of people, they feel like they can't, they, ha- they have no ally in the White House anymore. And so now they're turning to themselves. And I think that that is the best thing that they can do. I'm, 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 I'm definitely happy to see it. I mean. And just the things that I've been able to kind of establish through my own entity of Todd Capital and all the affiliate organizations and the support that I'm getting and being able to really, um, I mean, bring this message to the people. We're seeing a lot of a lot of just greatness. And I know that the next four years, the next however many years, we're going to see a leap in all things greatness for African-American people, whether it's our HBCUs, whether it's black business, whether it's the communities, whether it's what have you. There's so many great things that are happening. I mean, I'm not sure if you see that, but I mean. Is that something that you're seeing? Can you can you agree with me on that? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, in regards to um, a, a, a resurgence of black economics, because, like you said, we, we feel as though we don't have any major alliances on the highest levels of the political world. Uh, but the thing, the thing that I, I think is also dangerous. As far as social media and, and what we're seeing is that social media has made things more visible, but it doesn't the the representation excuse me the representation that we see on social media is a small sample size. It may not be a valid sample size of what's actually happening in our communities. Mm-hmm. So, like for instance, most. Most individuals that are on social media that maintain a profile on social media and just share positive things um, is usually a, a, a more educated group that, one, has the time to manage their social media because that, and, and that's, that's another factor, and I want to get too far in the weeds, but I feel as though what we're seeing on social media and, and the resurgence of black economics and black entrepreneurship that we're seeing on social media is a very, very small portion of our entire black population. And as a whole, as an entire community, I feel as though a lot of us aren't getting over that hump and, and aren't venturing into business. But 
on social media, as far as the the circles that you may be in on social media, you definitely can see a lot of it. I'm what I'm curious about. And I don't I don't have the statistics for, but just from what I'm seeing from the financial world, it it seems as though um, there's a there's a talented tenth, if you will, that are really progressing as far as within the black community and venturing into business and and highly educated, and then you have the other 90% that is not improving financially, is not improving on the educational level, and we just and that 90% may not be well represented on social media uh, because there are certain life factors and, and certain things. Because social media, to me, um, is it has a has a, a, a of leisure in it and and people get on social media to literally to use their time that they have the time to be on social media to see what's going on and to use it as a news source but there's a large part of our community who may not be very active on social media and they're living a different a different struggle than maybe the well-educated part of our community that has been able to create a lifestyle where they may be on social media every day, hmm. but you might have the lower end of the financial spectrum and the lower income individuals who may be working two or three jobs a day and literally don't have the time to be on social media. So they're just trying to make it financially. And so I definitely agree with you as far as there being, being a, a, a strong business culture that's visible within the black community on social media. However, there's a large part of our community that we don't hear or see on social media that, that is still struggling to kind of get some traction in, in, the, in our capitalistic society and just don't have the time or the ability um, to spend time on, on social media and not just try to survive. Uh, um, and that, so there, I think that... I guess we're we're both um, we we agree, but there's just certain dynamics that you just don't see on social media every day that are definitely real. I can um, see that. You know, I never thought of that. I never so, thought of that. I mean, because for me, I tend to follow the same kind of people. So I'm following people who are right. college educated, people who have progressed through graduate school, people who are married, people who are living a good life. So I'm going to tend to see people who are doing great things, whereas there is a whole uh-huh kind of 90%, as you say, that might not be doing as well. So, I mean, how do we help those people? I mean, it, it, it comes down to, to grassroots movements. It comes down to really getting in the streets and having um, a connection with the community, whether it's through literally through recreation centers um, and really getting out and sharing different paths with people there's a lot what i've learned from over the the recent years and just doing a lot of speaking whether it's students high school school students middle school students um traveling into certain neighborhoods a lot of professionals quote-unquote professionals are really not comfortable with going out of fear of literally like their safety whatever the case may be um and just going into a lot of these communities and talking to um, to certain segments of our community, what you realize is 
they're not even aware of certain paths that exist. I mean, obviously, we we all know the stereotypes as far as a lot of young black men, especially, feel that music or sports is their only way out of their predicament or their circumstances, which is not true. But that's what's promoted and what they see uh, either on their TV or obviously on the radio as far as the music aspect. They get it everywhere, So they man. see that as a pass. <laughs> Yeah, they see that. They as see a it in the movies. They see it anywhere they can look. It's sports or entertainment. Right, right, and and once somebody like myself goes and, and shares with them, like, hey, I, I grew up in a very, very similar neighborhood that you grew up in. However, I did have the opportunity to get exposed to different things, which my curiosity in itself. I personally feel like my curiosity led me to go to Howard, to see different things, to learn what most of my friends and most people in my neighborhood weren't talking about or weren't exposed to. And literally my curiosity to learn about this world that I wasn't aware of when I was younger led me down a different path. But everyone may not have that same sense of curiosity and more so just feel comfortable within their, their comfort zone of doing what everybody around them is doing. Um, so when I go back and talk to either younger people or even, even older individuals in, in certain neighborhoods and say, hey, like, you can do this or this is how you do that. And it's like it's like a breath of fresh air because they had just never been exposed to certain options mm-hmm. that I'm sharing with them that I've lived. And, and letting them know, like, I grew up, my mom was on WIT. And I, I know what that, that that welfare life is like, and I know what growing up in the inner city is like, because that's where I came from. But I just happened to be one of the individuals in my neighborhood that said, all right, I want to actually go to college, and I want to go to college away from where I'm from and get out of my comfort zone, because I was just curious about the rest of the world. And that led me to, to some of the successes that I experience now. Um, but it wasn't like this was my plan all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I, Fifteen years ago, I, I wouldn't have predicted um, where I am today. Um, but long story short, I think people like us um, need to really get back in touch with our community because I'm like, for instance, your podcast is great platform, and our our circle of people consume these conversations and learn something from these conversations. But it did, but then you think about it, it's like, hmm, are, are the individuals growing up in South Central L.A. or growing up in certain parts of certain major metropolitan areas, are they even listening to podcasts? Like, are they, are, are they in a position where they, they're even listening to, the, to these types of conversations? Um, and it's not because they don't want to, it's just that they just, nobody around them has exposed them to it. Um, and because a lot of them, you just tell them right now, hey, you should listen to this 30-minute conversation on your phone. They're going to be like, what? why would I listen to that when I can listen to music? <laughs> and, and it's just a matter of them being exposed to different ways of life that can lead them to different opportunities. And, and we literally have to go face-to-face and explain this to them um, because if 
we don't get it to them as the leaders of the black community from a, whether it's a financial or educational perspective. If we don't give that back to our own community, who else is going to do it? Mm-hmm. So it, I, I think it comes down to um, people that are in our positions really taking ownership of the leadership role that we automatically assume because we've had experiences that a lot of people that look like us just haven't had before. Yeah, that's one thing that I struggle with, and I don't struggle with it because I don't have the desire to give back or do. I think sometimes what I have to say isn't readily accepted, <laughs> um, but I need to work on that, and I think that that's something I want to, I mean, as this, as this brand grows, I definitely want to take it back to the inner city. Uh, we're planning on doing a conference in, uh, in South San Diego. I mean, we'll do it in L.A. We'll do it wherever we can get the word out because the goal is really, I mean, I've always said this, the goal is to shift the culture. So it's like everything I'm doing is to shift the culture because as the culture improves, my life improves. Um, so I'm going I'm to fire a few quick questions for you, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Um, so what's one word that you would use to describe Howard? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, that's, not, that's not the word, though. Well, it could be the word, but that's not the word. The word that I would use to describe Howard, um, I guess it's not technically one word, but I would say life-changing. Um, what does wealth mean to you? Legacy. What's your dream? Am I giving one more answer, or can I can I elaborate, or just one you can, more answer? You can elaborate on that one. Oh, okay. Um, wealth to me is more than just um, money and and financial success. Wealth to me is also about um, creating a standard that, or, or raising a bar that either your family or the people around you um, will want to reach and help raise to another level. So wealth to me is, is really about um, improving the behaviors and the culture of, of how you live. Um, and obviously one of the main tools to do that is money, but I think wealth is, is really about a way of life and to me about raising standards that your friends or family may have at the moment. What is your why? My why is creating the world that recognizes the the excellence of black people um, and, and all of the African diaspora. I, I really believe that we are a gifted group of people and I want to have a hand in making sure that our gifts um, shine as bright as they can possibly shine. Um, not only here in, in the U.S., but all over the world. So that, that's my why as far as why to why I give every day and work as hard as I work is, is to make sure that we, we are looked at um, in the right light 
essentially across the board. That's powerful, man. I like that. I can't. I don't. I can't ask you any more questions after that. That was a good way to end the show. So I mean, I appreciate you taking your time. I know it's late on the East Coast, um, so you stayed up late for us. I definitely appreciate that. Now, I mean, plug yourself. Where can they find you? What do you have going on? What do you want to kind of get out to there? Oh uh, well, first and foremost, I have to plug uh, Amplify, which um, is a company that. Um, one of my greatest friends started, and, and I help her a lot with, um, but it's basically a, a financial empowerment company where we teach um, a lot of students and, and, and school-aged children um, the basics to live in a healthy financial life. And just recently uh, solidified a contract with the school district of Philadelphia and looking to branch out to more school districts over time. But I definitely want to make sure people follow Amplify. Um, it's S-E-M-P-I-F-Y. We essentially took the word empower and took the word modify and made it into one word um, because that's what we want to do for our communities, empower our community and modify and change how we, how we carry ourselves uh, economically. So that that that's the 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 bright star right now. Um, outside of that, individually, uh, I speak. Uh, you can follow me on on Instagram and Twitter at the Rob Boyd. So T H E then my name Rob Boyd, and, and that uh, I use as far as my social platform. I use to really talk about or just share what I see. Um, in the world and, and expose people to things they may not be exposed to on their day-to-day. And um, I, I, as, as we've already talked about, I'm a consultant for a lot of the banks to make sure that they, that they know and understand how to connect with our community and empower our community. But lastly, I, I would want to plug that um, over the next several months, uh, we're unveiling a campaign um, through Amplify, uh, which is called Save the Trill, which is mainly about um, not only saving, but also learning how to invest the trillion-dollar buying power that our community has. Um, and so over the next couple months throughout the summer, we're going to have a lot of uh, digital content, events, a lot of things going on um, that are powerful by Amplify that are centered around changing how we circulate um, that trillion dollars of buying power that we have as a community on an annual basis. And so that, that that's the highlight of, of what's going on with Amplify. And uh, but outside of that, I, I just do a lot of individual consulting, financial coaching, and, um, and you can find me on social media. That's how we found each other. And, and I just want to share as much knowledge as possible with people and, and help guide them in the right direction based off the things that I've learned and continue to learn every day. Very cool. I appreciate you coming on the, on the podcast. Um, if anybody's interested in getting involved in our investment club, you can always reach us at info at capitaltod.com. Uh, we have the website, capitaltod.com. And, um, I mean, as always, this has been another great edition of the Tide Capital Millionaire Podcast, Episode 8.